word today, I just want to once again pray, and I love that we're a praying church, and we, we fully, we come to God because we long for a deep relationship with him, and we know that he is the only one who provides our every need. Uh, so for those two reasons, we come to him, and so for those two reasons, I'm going to pray that he reveals his word to us today. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for this day. Thank you for all those kids that get to run off and go to kids' church. I pray that your truth from your word uh, goes out in power and touches hearts and lives, that you would reveal your truth there today. And God, that you would reveal your truth to our hearts and minds here. But Lord, we know from your word that certain minds and hearts have been blinded through pride. And so Lord, even now, just consciously, we lay aside our own thoughts and ask humbly that you would speak to us through your word. God, we thank you for it, and we know that you are the giver of good things, that you're the giver of life. And so, Lord, give life this morning uh, to hearts, uh, soul, spirit, Lord, minds, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So if you brought your Bibles with you, uh, I invite you to just put a thumb in the book of Daniel. And so Daniel is in the prophets, and um, you can, it's just, we were just spent the, kind of the summer in the Psalms, so just flip to the right a little bit from there, and you will find Daniel. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. We'll, we'll find it. Just gave you a major cheat sheet there. Um, uh, just keep your finger there for a bit. We'll revisit that in just a little while. Uh, but as we get started today, uh, we are entering into a new series for the fall, and the series is, is titled An Obedient Resistance. And then, uh, it's just, I don't want it to be just a clever, clever title, but this title is is going to be something that we walk into. And if you think of the word resistance this morning, is that a positive or a negative word in your mind? I want to hear some answers. Is, is resistance positive or negative in your mind? I heard both, actually. I heard some people say positive. I heard some people say negative. Well, it all depends on who is being resisted, isn't it? doesn't it? Like, if, if you think I'm being resisted, then it's usually a negative thing. Oh, they're bringing resistance. Maybe you're a boss and you have some employees that you're like, they're really resisting things. And you're like, well, that's a negative word, resistance. But maybe there's, you're one of those, uh, uh, I don't know, maybe you're a person who thinks that there's th those powers that be, if you will. I'm going to not get political here this morning in case you're worried. Um, and you're thinking, yes, we need resistance. And that's a good thing, Right. Um, and so there's people that are all over. The, the word itself, resistance, entirely matters on who is being resisted, right? So just, we need to lay that foundation that the type of resistance that we're going to be talking about in this series is the type of resistance that the scripture calls us to, and that is resisting the devil. And that is a resistance we can get behind. We resist the devil. And now how do we resist the devil? is going to be through obedience. And that's obedience to Jesus. And that's obedience to Jesus' word. And it's actually in obedience to Jesus that we resist the devil because the devil's plan is completely opposed to Jesus. And so as we obey Jesus, we actually actively resist the devil. Now, 
That needs a whole lot of explanation, doesn't it? There, I just did what the sitcoms do. They hook you in the first minute, and then you have to come for the next number of weeks to figure this all out. Um, but an obedient resistance. Obedience and resistance seems like two counter things, doesn't it? Like, are you obeying or, or are you resisting? Those don't really fit together. But as you obey Jesus, you resist the devil. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus has been raised from the dead. He has just finished teaching his 12 disciples for 40 days about the kingdom of heaven and giving them kind of their marching orders because soon he would ascend and they wouldn't be with him in person anymore. And so Jesus says this, and this is the end of the book of Matthew. And he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And, and so often we stop at that point uh, when we quote this verse. And I just want to pause for a moment and just reckon with if Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth, should we be listening to him? Okay, should we be listening to him? Okay, I don't want you guys to be shy on me here today. Uh, we need to be confident in this because if we're going to be involved in an obedient resistance, we must stand firm, okay? So we're gonna get away from the sheepish and we're gonna stand firm, not in a militant uh, look at me way, but in a I need to rest on the fact that Jesus has all authority and I listen to him. Amen? Okay, we're getting past the sheepish this morning. Let's do this together. So often we stop there and we're like, that's great. Go, tell people the good news of Jesus. Baptize people into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's like the evangelical charge, right? Go, tell everybody. Uh, make believers, make disciples. But then we stop short often of, or at least gloss over, it continues, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And so it's in this phrase that we can spend the rest of our lives. See, because when you come to Christ and the Holy Spirit draws you and, and you are saved into the family of God, and then you're baptized, baptism is just a moment. But the learning the commandments and observing the commandments of Jesus. Now, this is, the, this is where the rubber hits the road. This is where it gets real. This is where we live this thing out, right? Jesus said, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. Now, often in the West, and it's just a product of, uh, of us and where we live, the church has been really good uh, either at two things, preaching ultra grace and forgetting the commandments of Jesus, or teaching ultra-commandments and then turning into legalism. But the scripture holds both of those in perfect tension. We are absolutely saved by grace. There's nothing we can do to earn the love of God. He just loves us because he loves us. We're his creation. He is all-powerful and all-loving. Yet when he saves us, he actually saves us from ourselves and our uh, bent to sin and self-destruction and other destruction. And so that means he has the best ways. And when he commands things of us, it's to get us away from that 
old life of self-destruction and other destruction. Does that make sense? That's what, that's what sin is. Okay, It's self-destruction and it's others' destruction. It's prideful and it destroys. And so what God comes to do is in his grace save us from that by giving us commandments and in his love he's given us the best way to live. Makes sense, right? And if he has all authority in heaven and on earth and if he created all of this, he knows how it works, right? He knows how it works. So first I want to we're going to be diving into this series and obedient resistance, and we're going to be addressing certain things in our day, in our culture, that are really, um, really prevalent, that speak against the kingdom of heaven, speak against the way of the kingdom of heaven. And, and I can tell you already that I am standing up here and I am going to be saying things that in our day and age are going to be radically offensive. And that's not my intent. It's not my intent. I believe that Christ is so good that if we would come in humility and align ourselves under his words, <laughs> we will see how truly good they are. But we are bombarded with messaging constantly that is contrary to the kingdom, aren't we? And so we must know, and it's my hope to bring a kindness by just us looking at some specific things in the Word of God over the next few months, that what does he say about these things we hear about in, in our culture all the time? So we're going to, we must come at it with an understanding of grace, not legalism, okay? Legalism would say, I need to do these things so that I can earn something. But we come from a place of relationship, we must come from that place of relationship, being humble and saying, God, you made all things, you have all authority, you know this is right. Even though maybe sometimes we wrestle with things in our mind or in our hearts, we get to come and say, Jesus, you said this is good, I'm going to trust that it's good, and I'm going to take you up on your word. Um, and, and so that's, that's the hope of how I hope we enter into this. It says in James chapter 4, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes who? The proud, but gives grace to who? The humble. So it's a pretty important deal, isn't it? It says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. We've got to come humbly. We've got to come with a submissive spirit. It says, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. See, I, I don't think at Pine Ridge we need to establish very much. I'm going to be glossing over things that are just kind of commonly known. Uh, things like we have a very real devil, an adversary that we deal with. Uh, there's a war for your soul. If you're not engaged, you're losing. Those types of things are very well established here. Um, but we're going to look more specifically at certain things. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It's not just about doing the right things or not doing the wrong things. It's about a resisting the devil, a drawing near to God in relationship. It's about relationship with God. That's the center of what this is all about, okay? Uh, I just know some of the things I'm going to be teaching and preaching on in the past have been like a rah-rah resistance to legalism. We're not going there. But... We need to teach these things with the right mindset of getting into a deep relationship with God so that we can recognize his wholeness and his peace and give him the glory he deserves. Tracking? 
Good. It's just a, it's a difficult topic because it's so skewed in our, in our culture. We are at war with the enemy for a relationship with God. This verse, just in case you weren't convinced, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our battle is not against... I'll use it again, the powers that be. Our battle is not against that jerk at the cubicle across from you or that jerk swinging the hammer uh, down the ladder from you. Our war is against Satan, period, okay? And all of his plans. Um, Who here loves an underdog story? Raise your hands. Okay, everybody loves an underdog story. Don't you? I mean, I, I was a kid. I was born in 88. And so growing up as a kid, the early 90s were prime time for underdog sports movies. If you're a millennial like me, you know it well. Like every other sports movie that came out was just this awesome underdog nowhere team from the, from the middle of nowhere with a bunch of kids just thrown together and they find themselves and eventually end up winning the championship and everybody loves those stories. We love an underdog story. We think of things like, if you're thinking in the Bible, we think of stories like David and Goliath, right? We think of, we love that and it's often framed like there's this big underdog story and, and we love these stories. I want us to just pause. I, you can continue to love those stories. They're fun. They're great. I want to flip it a little bit this morning. As Christians, as we think of ourselves in this battle against Satan, on our own, are we underdogs? Yes, absolutely. Satan is powerful. He is the prince of the power of the air. He is the ruler of this age. He is powerful. As children of the Most High God, seated with Christ in the heavenly places, spiritually speaking right now. Sorry, I know we've established all this already, Pine Ridge. If you're catching up, read the book of Ephesians. It's fantastic. Um, As children of the Most High God, are we underdogs? As people who have been born of the Spirit, are we underdogs? Okay, good. We need to establish that. As we enter this battle, we aren't the underdog. Who's on our side? God. Does Satan hold anything against him? Not a chance. Not a chance. To God be the glory. That's what it comes down to. That's what it comes down to. See, it's not about us in this battle. It's about us giving God glory because he can take someone like me and someone like you who is absolutely weak, who has no hope on her own, but by his grace can actually save us, who by his grace can actually make us holy and actually even change our desires to align with his good and perfect plan for humanity. I mean, come on, that's good stuff. To God be the glory. We're not underdogs. Your finger still in Daniel? Okay, good. Open your Bibles to Daniel if you didn't yet. In Daniel, we have this story. And in the first six chapters, we have the story of Daniel. In the last six chapters, uh, which are actually, I think, my favorite chapters in Daniel, we have his uh, prophetic 
chapters, and we're not going to get to the prophetic. We're just looking at Daniel's story today. Daniel was a part of the Hebrew people. He was living in Israel at the time when Israel was punished for their rebellion, and they were taken captive after prophets warned them over and over and over in their sin that they would be taken captive. Israel would fall. Jerusalem would fall. The temple, where, which was their culture, not only their cultural hub, but the very place where the presence of God dwelt would be destroyed. And they would be hauled off first to Assyria, part of them, and then eventually to Babylon. And so if you know anything about history, Babylon was an absolutely pagan kingdom where pagan um, idol worship and uh, just a whole lot of just disgusting atrocities were done, um, and it was just a normalized part of culture, okay? And so this is where Daniel finds himself, is he's in Israel, and there are people being taken captive and going to Babylon. Now, the Babylonians thought, well, we don't need to waste this opportunity. What we're going to do is we're going to take the best of the best of these Hebrews, and we're going to come and we're going to indoctrinate them with all of our teachings. We're going to teach them our languages, and we're going to use them, especially the bright ones, we're going to use them to our advantage. And so Daniel was one of these guys. And many of you uh, know the story of Daniel. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was his three buddies, right? Those guys that end up in the fiery furnace. And um, so Daniel, he is in Babylon. He has everything, it would seem, culturally against his God, right? There's pagan idol worship. There's sexual immorality, is rampant. All of these things is just bombarding him. Now, we read the story of Daniel, and we, and we read that Daniel is faithful. The first thing that he's tested with is um, the Israelites had very strict food laws, and the purpose of that was so that they would be set apart from the nations around them. And so um, they, they wouldn't engage in eating any of the uh, impure meats that uh, the Babylonians were, and but remember, they're literally captives. It seems like they don't have much of a choice, but here's what we read in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself, and God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. So basically Daniel asks, hey, I can't eat your food. And the guy says, the king's going to kill me if you end up weak. Eat this food. We need you strong. That's what's happening here. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That's the Hebrew names for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So he says, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to him in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. And I, like, 
I really like a good steak, so I already know that this is a miracle. Because, <laughs> I mean, come on. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. There's very healthy vegetarian people, but that would be a challenge. Um, so the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And so we see this first part where Daniel was in a pagan land where he had everything to gain. I mean, he was a part of these, cho these chosen elitist kind of people. The king was going to put him to work in his chambers. He had every reason to just give up on this whole God thing. He had a lot to gain by just going with the flow of the culture and going with the flow of the king. He had a lot to gain, but he didn't. He stayed faithful to his God in that moment and somehow got ripped off veggies. And then... It says God gives him the ability to interpret dreams. Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. Daniel interprets it. Nebuchadnezzar is the king, by the way, of Babylon. Um, Daniel interprets it, and I'm just glossing over this story. Um, Daniel gains great favor with Nebuchadnezzar, so much so that King Nebuchadnezzar, um, it says in chapter 2, verse 48, King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage, homage, help me out, homage, thank you, to Daniel, and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Daniel's faithfulness to God wasn't, I don't imagine that would have been easy in the moment. Uh, after his faithfulness in that moment, it says that God blessed him with wisdom and um, intellect and the ability to interpret dreams, and he uses that while being faithful to God, and it actually gets to the point where the king's attention, the king himself can say, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you've been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. So in this instance, Daniel stays faithful to God. God blesses that and he has influence in the highest place in a pagan nation. Instead of joining the culture, he influenced it for the kingdom of God. And now this isn't always how it goes. We read other stories in the scripture where it ends up that Daniel could have very well just lost his head trying to eat veggies. He could have happened, right? It very well could have happened, and it has happened to saints throughout the years. The important part is the faithfulness to God here in the midst of a foreign land. We also see then that Nebuchadnezzar, he has these advisors, and they're just all terrible advisors. But he, he goes with these advisors' plans and he, he gets this huge statue of himself. And contrary to popular belief, it was not a chocolate rabbit. It was a huge statue of himself. And he commands all of the, he get, gathers all these people, just the pride of King Nebuchadnezzar. He gathers all the people, and there's this huge golden statue, and, he sa and it's of him, and he says, you must bow down and worship this statue. Now, what do you think 
an Israelite who can only worship Yahweh, the one true God, what are they going to do in this situation? It's either bow down to this gold statue or die, essentially. Bow down to this gold statue or die. So Daniel and his three buddies, they do not bow down, but these three guys are noticed. It says that they are thrown into, Nebuchadnezzar throws a fit. Uh, it says in 3 verse 13, Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you did not serve my gods or worship the golden image I've set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fire, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. That's bold. That's a whole other level than eating veggies. Like, not even close. These guys were willing to say, my God can deliver me, but if he doesn't, I'm never bowing down to you. And so, I just want to parallel this with the culture of our age. We're going to be talking over the next few months about three big Three big things that, our, that we're just, our culture we're steeped in and stuck in, and I see it creeping into the thinking of Christians because it's just constantly message after message after message. And these three topics are power. The kingdom of heaven has a power structure, and it's entirely a different perspective than the world. Uh, power is a big problem. Uh, in our culture right now, either you hate power altogether or power has been abused and all of it is, is just gross and wrong. And we need to know what, what proper power is and how it is used for the kingdom of heaven. We also are bombarded by messages about sex that absolutely are counter kingdom. Um, We're not, oh, it's just got quiet in here. <laughs> Uh, it's okay, Christians. God made sex, and he made it in a good way f to be in a good place between a man and a woman in marriage. But there's a lot of messaging that you hear that kind of can blur the lines and gray the lines. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about also how we can engage in the culture we're in in a loving way. Again, our, who is our enemy? It is the devil, not the person beside you, right? We're going to enter into this with grace and compassion, but we're also going to land on the one whose words carry all authority in heaven and on earth. Amen? Amen? All right. So that's where we're going with that. And then the third one is going to be money. Huh. Love it. If you just want to offend everybody in a room, talk about power and sex and money for the next few months. But you know what? God is so good, and he created everything. He, our ways are not his. We sang this morning, you are perfect in all of your ways. I trust that if you just try him out 
with a sincere, humble heart, because he gives grace to the humble, you will realize that his ways are actually amazing and actually good. So we talked about that. Three major deceptions we're going to look at in our day and age. And, and the reason we're going to be talking about these things is because they sideline so many people. They have been the cause of people walking away from God altogether. They've been the cause of relation, unneeded relational hate, honestly, between people. And that shouldn't be there either. We are called to enemy love as believers. We don't need to love what people are doing. We need to love people. We have a war against the enemy. Power, sex, and money, these three things in our age are huge. So we're going to just address them um, and just jump right into that. Not today, but um, you can look forward to that. So if half of us are here next week, um, may the Holy Spirit convict you. You need this teaching. Um, <laughs> Second Timothy knew exactly what this is all about. When Paul is writing to Timothy, Paul is writing to this young guy who's leading the church in Ephesus, and he's leading the church. And this is what he says about it. He says, understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. So let's just acknowledge that it, things won't be easy, okay? Do you think it was easy for Daniel? No, it wasn't easy. Things will be difficult. You will have to make decisions that are counter the culture we live in, and it will be difficult at times. But for the one who loves perfectly and has poured out his grace, for the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth, it is worth it. In the last days, there will become times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godness, godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. And so this is what Paul writes to Timothy. Basically, you take that list and then you capture it in the phrase that was popular about eight years ago and you just say, this is the you do you mantra, isn't it? You do you. And did you know that you do you, and all of this list, it starts out with lovers of self. That is actually the most demonic, satanic thing that you can enter into. We are supposed to know that we are secure in Christ and love ourselves in him, but not above God. What is the, first, what is, what is the reason Satan was cast out of heaven in the first place? Because he put himself above God. Did you know that there's actually a church of Satan? Did you know that when people go to the church of Satan, they are not there to, it doesn't look like our gathering, they are not there to worship Satan like we worship Yahweh God. They are entirely indoctrinated to do whatever you want and whatever feels good, you live for yourself. And that is the church of Satan because that's been Satan's message since the beginning. Elevate yourself. You are God. You do whatever you want. We need to get past that evil. Thank God in his grace he can rescue us from that. We need to then have a proper understanding of God's word and all of the commandments of Jesus in order to not fall into this trap. It says all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Righteousness 
that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. So be ready when it's popular and when it's not popular. Know the word. Teach it. Don't be ashamed of it. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. With all humility, it's my aim and my goal with sincerity, knowing that I don't hold all truth, we are, but it's my sincerity that I hope to lead us into truth in these areas by the word of God. And that we wouldn't just hear what we want and be like, well, that doesn't feel good, and then just take off. There's going to be things that sometimes don't feel good as you follow Jesus. Maybe you've got this power, sex, and money thing down. There's things in our life that we just need to wrestle with, that when Jesus says it, it just hits a nerve for us. And we're like, ah, that's uncomfortable, but I trust that you're good. And so that's what we're going to get after in his word. We're going to teach from that. It's from a place of relationship with God based on his grace and his love. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. So we actually put this truth in our mind, right? It's not just feelings. Like we need to know what his word says, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. How are you tested? When Nebuchadnezzar throws a gold statue up there and says, bow down or fiery furnace, you're tested, right? When somebody says, get behind this agenda, whatever it is, sinful agenda that our culture can push, and we're, I'm not going there today because I just want a week without angry emails this week. Um, I'm going to get plenty over the next while. No, I'm not. We're all going to just have grace and humility. But... I don't want to get into the specifics this morning, but there's going to come a time, maybe in your job, where you're going to have to align with something that is counter kingdom of God that would push you past a boundary of loving someone and into a place of yourself having to step into sin, that you're going to have to say no, perhaps at great cost. You're going to have to lose clients. And I tell you, it's only increasing in these days. It's only increasing in the days to come. It's only going to be more and more difficult. But again, on our own, do we have a shot? No. Are we underdogs with God? No, we are not. We are not. The Holy Spirit is given to those who obey him. This is from 1 Peter. It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action. This is what we want to do. Prepare our minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's from this place of grace, we set our minds to action, setting our hope on Jesus' grace. It says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, this is what we're going to be talking about, guys. From that place of God's grace and relationship 
with our heavenly Father, be holy as he is holy. Not be holy or else. From a place of he's got it. Because of his grace. Be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges, this part should land with us too, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Boy, that sounds like Daniel, doesn't it? Except this isn't written to the Israelites that were in Babylon. This is written to the church. This is written to people who, though we have been bought with a price and are full citizens of the kingdom of heaven, awaiting that coming of Christ where he establishes it fully and we will enter into it fully, we are in exile here in occupied land. We are in exile where our culture doesn't line up with the culture we're living in. So we conduct ourselves with fear throughout the time of our exile. Fear of who? Fear of the Lord. Fear of being out of his hand and his protection and his will. Knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. See, this isn't about get in line or else. This isn't about get into some super outdated, not modern thinking and go back to this ancient script which has been used to abuse people for generations, which is the world, world's view basically right now. This is something that we can walk in wholeness, that we can walk in holiness, in a close relationship with Christ, making it to the end, knowing we finished the race well. Why? Because Jesus bought us. Because he bought us, and he owns us, and we're humble. But not only that, he came, though God himself had all power, just a foreshadow to when we talk about power, though he has all power, he emptied himself and came in the form of a servant. Not thinking equality with God was something to be grasped. But he went to the cross and gave his blood. And that's how we get to live. But it's out of this place of great appreciation for Christ and what he's done. Are we underdogs with God? No. Is there a war happening? Yes, absolutely. When we abide in Jesus and are careful to obey what he commands, we can know that we're in the right place. We can know that we need to grow. We need to think rightly and aim to believe his truth and walk in it unashamed. And to that end, I want to uh, invite the worship team up. Um, and I'm just going to, you guys can stay seated. Worship team, you guys come up. And then just maybe, yeah, it's 11.09. We're good. Um, I'm going to take us, and I'm just going to walk us through a little practice thing right now uh if you would if you would with me um and it comes down to this god opposes who the proud he opposes the proud he gives grace to who the humble so we can't even enter this conversation of obedience without a surrender to christ without a humble heart right 
Otherwise, in all of our striving and in all of our obedience, even in that we can exalt ourselves. Even in that we can become prideful, right? And so even as we enter this conversation over the next number of weeks, as we talk about power and sex and money and God's ways, we got to come surrendered. And so my, just my invitation to you, my question to you is, are you actually surrendered or do you already have walls up? Like if you've put up those walls and be like, oh, you can't go there or you can't touch that, would you say that to Jesus, the one who has all authority? Oh, you can't go there. Oh, you can't touch that belief because we're just going to look at his word together. So I'm going to invite you. You can maybe play a little keyboard. And um, I'm going to invite you to bow your heads. And maybe there is uh, something that you're already like in those three topics, or maybe the Holy Spirit's telling you something else. I don't know. Maybe there's something that you're just not actually ready to surrender. Maybe there's something you're not willing to say, yeah, Jesus, you can go there. But I know there's some in this room right now that it's just healthy for us to just acknowledge that. And if that's you, just in your heart right now, just say, Jesus, I ask for your grace to surrender. Even ask, Lord Jesus, I pray along that you would give your church the humility to follow your word. And Jesus, I, I, I invite you by the Holy Spirit to discipline your children. And it's actually in your discipline that we know we're not illegitimate children, that we know we belong to you. And so God, right here in this moment, as we enter into aiming to follow your word with everything we've got because we trust you, Lord, I pray for a deeper surrender. For those in their hearts right now that know they've been resistant, that know there's pockets of their life they haven't surrendered, God, I pray that there is a total and complete surrender wrought by the Holy Spirit working in their hearts. And Jesus, that it would bring such peace and freedom that they would just can't even put words to it. And so God, for all of us here, I pray for a holy surrender, that your church would be holy as you are holy, that we would be those five bridegrooms who are waiting for the, or five, <laughs> five virgins waiting for the bridegroom that have oil in their lamps because we've walked with you, we've obeyed you, we're ready for you to return, for you're coming back for an undefiled bride. You bought us with a price. May we honor you. To you be the glory. Continue to set us free, Lord, from our former ways by your grace. May we walk in full step with you. Lord, surrender, Lord, is what we need. We need humility. Lord, over, over these hearts here, in this room, online, I pray for a surrender and a humility wrought by your Holy Spirit. And even as we worship, Lord, that just these walls we put up would fall down. That surrender would come even as we worship, Lord. So I just invite you to stand with me and we'll worship Jesus together. 
And if that's you in your heart, just continue to surrender things to the Lord here today.